Black men and mental health. We really don't hear those two things in the same sentence a lot, but I felt it was important for us to have this discussion. And today we have the perfect guest to talk about these matters and these issues on the Maximize Your Brand podcast. As you know, June is Men's Health Month, and I've been doing episodes all month long around black men and mental health. So this is going to be a great episode. I'm looking forward to talking to my guests today all around this topic. Sit back, take notes. Let's dig deep so that we can come up with some solutions around this issue. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Maximizer Brand Podcast. And I am so excited to be joining you again this week as we have another discussion, another men's health discussion. And today is all about black men and mental health. And I know that men's health is much more broader than black men, but I wanted to specifically focus on individuals that I most relate to because I am a black man and I want to talk about black men and their physical health, black men and their financial wellness, black men and their mental health. And we're also going to have a episode later this week, black men and spiritual wellness and health. And then we're also going to have tonight an episode on black men and fashion because, you know, I really love fashion and and love to look good. And we're going to have somebody share on that. But today's episode is dedicated to mental health, mental health. There's so many different uh, things out there um, that we can discuss around this. And mental health within the African-American community is not really something that is talked about a lot. You really don't hear the conversation. You do hear it more prevalent today than before, um, especially as a in the millennial generation, Gen X generation. You know, we have come to the point where we have made it okay to go see a therapist, to okay to talk about mental health issues or mental wellness things. And so I thought it would be a great episode. And I came across um, my guest today, uh, his Instagram, and really liked a lot of things that he was talking about on his Instagram. He He's someone who I feel like will provide us a great discussion around this. And so my guest today is Mr. Corey George. Corey George is a nas- is nationally recognized trauma mental health expert who has advocated for and assisted many with healing from the de- deleterious effects of various forms of trauma and other mental health challenges. I think I may have butchered that word. Anyhow, Corey is also an award-winning television personality, author, and multimedia producer who has committed his life to what he calls ministry. His work can be seen on season one of A&E's 
new series, Digital Addiction. Wow. How many of you are digitally addicted? (laughs) A sister show to their long-running series, Intervention. He is regarded as a trailblazer who utilizes his platform to speak on tough conversations, especially those centered on trauma. And it's, there's that word again, and he'll help me pronounce it, uh, deliterous effects within the African-American community, having made several appearances on media outlets such as Huffington Post, live own networks, Iyanla, Fix My Life, and local radio and television outlets. George is currently pursuing his Doctor of Education degree in community care and counseling. And so we're going to go ahead and bring in our guest today, Mr. Corey. George, thank you for joining me today. Hello, everybody. We appreciate you being on the Maximize Your Brand podcast. And so, Corey, I gave a brief bio of who you are, but I always like to allow my guests the opportunity to share a little bit more in detail on how they show up in the world. So take it away. Well, first of all, you did say the word right the second time. Okay, the second time. and the second awareness I have, I'm going to go change the body and use a better word, because <laughs> I, yeah, because I want people to feel comfortable saying things, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the way I work. Is my goal is to increase comfort based on your life. So, um, this is my ministry, but this is also my life story. So I bring a lot of lived experience into my work. I didn't get into this until later in life, but I already knew I had the foundational stuff, and I often say that every issue that I faced growing up turned into the advocacy and turned into the expertise that now I can give back. And so part of the work I do in trauma is to teach people that you get to decide mm-hmm. how you use that experience. You get to decide. And so when we're unhealed, it controls us and it decides our behaviors, our outputs, and the way we see the world. But then once you go through your process of unraveling the past and understanding how it can fit in your life as another life event, you get to recall it at will as opposed to your trauma memory being mm. being a trigger at all costs so um and i think that for us especially black men my goal is to be able to make it more comfortable yeah. make it more comfortable have the i always feel like if you have the tough talk first then you know second third time it becomes easier so and we need facts um you know we uh it's, so i see a lot of information out there it's like it's not correct that's not correct. So, so I, so my goal in my work is not to just help heal as a partner, but to also give folks, you know, the facts that they can harness at home and have these conversations with their children, because that's where it starts. You know, yeah. how do we start start with our own children and making them comfortable young boys and comfortable grown men having the conversations with their friends, family, and just being able to unravel all that stuff because it could be quite messy. Quite messy, quite messy. Yeah. So for those of you who are joining and listening in, feel free to type in the comments, type questions as we go along today's interview. We want to make sure that we are, you know, paying attention to what you're saying as well as you listening to the conversation. So, Corey, tell us a little bit on how did you get into this area of, of mental health and coaching and, and working with oh. trauma people? Well, having to... Well, having having been a victim or survivor of childhood rape for six years of my own life and seeing and seeing what family support looks or didn't look like, 
Um, also seeing that there was a point where some people just don't know better. So are we going to hold them accountable for something that they learned from someone else? Uh, secondly, it was really about understanding that if I healed alone, I knew that that wasn't a good place, you know, to do it alone. So I started in coaching because I knew there was something I had to offer. And then I realized that a lot of my clients who were mostly black men, it was the past that was blocking them from their endeavors. And then I started, started having these in-depth type of conversations. And I realized I don't know enough to be able to help you in the best way possible. So let me go back to school. <laughs> let me go back to school. And then it revealed that this is where I want to be. I have a divine interest in working with trauma. I wanted to become the expert that people can lean on for facts well, well, for facts and for suggestions on how to start the healing process, how uh, and also what to look for, how to be able to have the conversations, and what life can look like once you, you know, once you make an intentional effort to cross over on the other side of healing. I love that word healing. You know, so many different things that many of us have to heal from. Uh, would you say that is the foundation or the beginning of or the identification that you need healing is the foundation or, or the beginning steps toward um, really addressing some of your mental wellness challenges? Well, yeah, because I was thinking earlier, you know, most times when people come to me, they're coming to me with the behaviors. But I always mm. tell them, but, but what's the root of the behavior? Because it could right. be something that you heard at age six. And so there's this, there's this phrase I use. If you look at conversations, once someone tells you something for so long as a child, these become messages that you adopt and those messages become your beliefs. So whether it's about yourself or the world or other people, and then those beliefs drive your actions. Hmm. So if the messages are cancerous and you look at the world as being unsafe, or you look at the world as you not being as good enough, or you not being, um, something, your actions and your behaviors are going to manifest those messages that you've adopted. So it's been oftentimes I tell clients, you didn't tell yourself this message. This came from your daddy. Mm. So your answer, so your, you know, and so your dad's voice became your own. Now it's you telling yourself the same thing. And so you must believe what he said, but I understand because in those formative years, because I'm a parent in, in those formative years, that's where we get the understanding of who we are. Uh, that's where we should get our affirmation and validation. That's yeah. where we should know how to moderate our feelings because someone is partnering with us, you know, to say, hey, being sad is okay, but how do you deal with it? Being angry is mm -hmm. okay, but how do you deal with that? Being hurt is a real emotion, but how do you deal with that? So without that, and 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 this speaks and this speaks mostly to men because men are taught to, you know, taught to fight it out and you know, and shoulder, suck it up. And shoulder, our emotions, yeah. yeah. Yeah, either that or you take it on the chin. And mm -hmm. when people tell me, you know, I just take it on the chin, I said, well, baby, who, whoever taught you to take it off? I said, your chin is long and heavy. I said, you walk around with a long and heavy chin because you keep putting things on it and now we don't know where to start. So, and so going back to your first, like your first statement is, sometimes we have to deal with a multitude of not just traumas, but you know, but past failures, we have to decide what is the one that's the most monumental. And then most times, once we work on that, it'll help to heal the other things. And yeah. so it's, it's a life story process of how I work. It's like, I need to, I need to know everything that you remember from mm -hmm. growing up, up to now. And then so we can 
take a look at the life picture because how often are you looking at your whole life picture it's not often you're doing that right right and so you know this month is all focused on men particularly black men's health so why is it so hard or why is it so challenging for we as black men to start that healing process one of the things i see is what does the ego look like Mm. because the ego was built usually from childhood Uh, the ego is like hey dude so if you play sports then then you're relevant if you do this then you know you do this and and we say teamwork but it's not really teamwork because part of you wants to win so if it's ingrained for us to always win 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 but we're not taught to cope with failure because you will fail it's inevitable some things will not work out um does that have does that have to bruise your ego and so sometimes when i'm doing the work i have to say can we can we set aside the ego so i can find the self and so when i say self there's a core about you that's that's been wrapped up in everything that you've gone through so how do we get down to that um so it does become difficult because we have to ask a man what does being a man mean to you because every man's story is different what does being a man mean to you and how does that disconnect you from being a full human being yes so good so good and so we have to we have to be willing to go through through the process i think i heard some time ago many years ago that ego is edging god out right that that connection that we we may have to our ultimate source why do we have a desire to remain in ego what is it that we are wanting to prove in the world as men black well, men I don't in particular know well, I, well, so there's a there's a thing where we normalize behavior. So sometimes we're asking you to throw away what you know to feel safe, because because sometimes our moves in life are safety moves. They're not really for being you know being well. It's like this keeps me safe. Mm-hmm. And I will say I understand that you're doing this because this makes you feel safe. But has it been productive? It's safe, but you may be in because because there's some clients that are still in a child like mine in a full size body. So has it really been productive? It's kept you safe, but you haven't grown out of the bubble. Mm. And so a lot of behaviors we see as negative are safety mechanisms, you know, but that's how they've coped. And in most cases, if you've coped with childhood failure and childhood trauma, you and if you bring those same skills into your adulthood, they rarely ever serve you well. Mm. So the avoidance and the blocking and acting like it didn't happen and aggression and anger and um and being so defeated, that was what you used to cope as a child because you had no other choices because you couldn't leave your situation. Yeah. Now, let me teach you the power of choice now. And mm-hmm. so we're and, and so I'm always expecting some pushback. Yeah. I always expect a pushback. So, um, and I told the client, I said, listen, we'll be here every week and I want to sit with you every week until you realize I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's a matter of, if I share this, will you leave me? If I share this and it makes me look less than a man or less than what this image is, will you look at me a different way? I said, no, you don't pay me to see you in a negative way. That's impossible. Mm, that's impossible. And, and, mm. and I only work with you because I see hope in you. So good. I, yeah. So I only work with people who have hope. Yeah. And I think that that's good. You know, that, that we, we, we need to, we always should have hope. And yes, there are different life circumstances that sometimes uh, 
uh, have us to question how hopeful we are. But yeah, I, th- I like that philosophy around hope. And so when we're when we're talking about black men and the various uh, last week we had I had two of my friends who were physicians and we talked about um, physical health and health disparities and different determinants that have impacted us in ways that uh, don't impact the majority currently the majority uh, population. Um, and those who, who don't know, one of the reasons why this is so important to me around this conversation is that my, my background, graduate work, uh, was all in public health. And so as a public health professional, there were a lot of things that I got to see, got to work on um, in the underserved areas that, you know, kind of inspire me to have these types of conversations. And so are there health disparities when it comes to Black men or African Americans in general and mental health. If I can hold up a red neon sign that says yes right now, <laughs> I would I would paint myself like a clown and say yes. Um, you know, unmanaged stress can shorten shorten the life of black men by up to twenty percent as compared to their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to drop this fact that sometimes it scares people, but it's the truth. Um, trauma itself it has ability to to, to transgress and move down 14 levels of your family. Okay. So those, so, and so those trauma responses that happened, you know, that happened in the fields during slavery, it's ingrained in us. Mm. It's ingrained in us. So sometimes we have the anxiety uh, that we can't explain. Sometimes we are more prone to feeling those thoughts of, well, but those thoughts of anxiety and depression and all these other things. Sometimes we have these attributes such as high blood pressure and diabetes that can come from the way the way our ancestors have or have not processed trauma. And it doesn't change the DNA. It just turns the markers on to make us more susceptible to certain things that other cultures here don't feel. So why this is important is because when you walk around with years of unmatched stress, years of trauma, that is always a trigger. Every time you're triggered, your brain says, I'm unsafe. So a trauma and it's unprocessed, your uh, your brain does not know the difference between what I think is unsafe and what is factually unsafe. Mm-hmm. So when it feels that, your brain releases a host mm-hmm. of chemicals to try to calm you down. And it's supposed to do its job in a certain amount of time. But unfortunately, if you're constantly stressed or constantly triggered, guess what happens? It raises your blood sugar to a point where as now your standard level is higher than usual, now you're pre-diabetic. See, it raises the blood sugar first because it's the fight or flight. So you need strength. Yeah. So you need that. So it's supposed to do that. But when it goes haywire and you're constantly stressed and it stays elevated, guess what? You may go see a doctor next month and, and they're saying, well, you're, but you may need to cut back on eating and, you know, and do something because your blood sugar is high now. And you, and you look at yourself and you're in nice shape, you eat well, and you can't figure out why am I pre-diabetic? Why do I have hypertension? Well, let's check out what you're managing every day. Mm-hmm. Let's check out the stresses that you haven't handled that causes you to see other stressors as much bigger than the average bear. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, and so for me, my work is mostly mental, but I know that there's a physical effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I teach clients how to, you know, how to breathe, 
um, it's like the simple act of breathing out slowly activates something in your brain to to calm you down. And people don't realize that that's something that you can do that's free. I don't care if you don't have any arms and legs, but you can breathe. Yeah, you know, when you feel yourself and you feel unsafe, as you're breathing, it gives you time to process. Because usually there's a snap reaction, and then sometimes we do things that we actually regret because it wasn't what it was. Mm-hmm. So it's very important for us to understand that mental health has a, has a direct link to our physical health. And as we see, um, we've seen people with the best shape just you know just fall out, just die, like literally die in front of you. And it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you keep bringing up this word trauma a lot. Can you define what that means I, and then also will, give us will, examples of that? I would love to because, you know, one thing about trauma is that we throw this word around like everyone actually, is, everyone deals with trauma and that's not true. Um, maybe about maybe about up, up to 60% of people actually deal with trauma, but trauma is a highly distressful event that falls outside of your normal normal means of coping. So it can be something like a natural disaster. It could be you witnessing someone you love going through something. It could be you seeing someone being hit by a car. It could be combat, rape, um, a physical, it, it, it could be a physical injury. It could be a car accident. It could be a, you know, it could also be a near-death experience. So for example, if you're on a plane and they think you're gonna crash, well, if you survive, eh, 10 times out of 10, you're going to have some issues trying to cope with that. But let's be clear, even if you have a traumatic experience, most people will heal from it naturally. So only a few, so only a few people will go on to experience what we call the other side of trauma, which is PTSD. So that's how that works. Got it. So PTSD is a type of trauma. Uh, that people experience well it's well actually so is it so it's an anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and it's characterized by several uh you know by several symptoms and that's when you see people who are constantly startled all the time you mm-hmm. can have nightmares flashbacks you may change your life so you don't experience that thing again or if you're reminded of something like you don't want to have a conversation about it you avoid people, places, and things, you're highly agitated. You have more risk-taking, such as drinking, drugs, um, sex, you know, all these things. So it's a cluster of, it's a cluster of things that have to be present up to, up to 30 days. But the first, but the first month of it, we want to wait because you may heal from that in the first month. So we just take a look at it after that, after that mark. And if those symptoms are still there, that's when we can start, you know, start the process of saying, does this person have that or are, mm-hmm. or are they still on the cusp of healing from it? Because mm-hmm. I have family uh, members and friends who have talked to me about dealing with anxiety. And it's it's kind of difficult for me to understand because I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know that I have that as a challenge. Yeah. Right. And so when. I don't know what is the impact of anxiety on individuals that you've seen. Like, I'm sure it comes out in various ways, but what are some of the common impacts of anxiety? Well, commonly we'll see people just kind of like shut down because it's a fear factor, you okay. know, because it's usually rooted in the fear of 
impending doom or failure. So, mm -hmm. and so it could be as simple as, I don't want to go somewhere. I don't want to do that because it's anxiety provoking because it reminds you. And so when, and so when I see that, I'm like, oh, that's a trigger and that's a trauma response. Um, it could be as debilitating as you have shortness of breath. You feel your heart is beating fast. You feel like you're going to die. And it could be, you know, it could be the same thing as a panic attack or similar, but it, but in most cases, anxiety either slows down movement in the future or stops you from doing a certain thing okay. because it is so debilitating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So this is why we're having this conversation. One, so that I can better understand some of these triggers or, or trauma challenges that people, but so that you also can uh, share as well. So if you have any questions that you would like to ask Mr. George, please uh, place those in the comments and we will put those on the screen. And so we were talking a little bit earlier around um, some challenges that I've been seeing in society. And one of the things that keeps coming up for me is this idea of comparison. And today, you know, uh, being an entrepreneur, all you ever see is, you know, learn how to build a million dollar business. So have a high six figure uh, revenue generating business, live the lifestyle of the king. <laughs> you know, all of these things that we have placed great value on. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, um, being financially set. But, you know, what is what is it in our culture, especially for men, that we put so much value in these things? Well, well, let's take it back to the animal kingdom. Because um, <laughs> as soon as you, you you were talking at the end, I thought a mutual of Omaha. It's an old commercial back in the day. And it was a lot of animals. But if you know, a lot of times in the animal kingdom, you know, the male is always trying to 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 win the women or to win the, you know, the herd. You know, they're showing off their chest. You know, they fight to the death or they're fighting until they get, you know, until they get there. And once they're there, they don't leave that spot. So most men, like some male animals, are raised, you know, to lead a flock. So we're raised to be the provider. We're raised to believe that in order to to be successful, it's 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 kind of like, okay, I have to make the money. Even if I'm stressed out, even if I'm tired, if I make the money, then that should be a balance. But there's no balance if there's no balance, right? So we have this opinion. And then also, if if look at social media, there's a lot of people doing great things, right? Uh, I could be in this house, you know, doing this and people think I'm loaded with money because of, you know, things I've done. But the truth is, I may not. So we have these perceptions and the things that are given off and people tend to want to then compare their status, not understanding that every person's journey is different. Yeah. Every person won't be rich. Every person won't have a six pack. Every person's not going to be thin or tall. I'm five eight. Okay, it's not going to happen. I can't reach the top of the cabinets. I deal with it. I buy a ladder. So, um, and it takes us away from harnessing the things that we were embedded with during our creation. I believe that everyone's here to do something. Yeah. But if you're worried about what, what that something is for everybody, you miss the opportunity mm -hmm. to see yourself. Because I don't... It, I love my work. I call it ministry, but I'm not the only person doing it. But as I tell people, I can't be Marquise, and you sure can't be Corey mm -hmm. George. Mm -hmm. And I want you to be the best Marquise. So when I hear people talk, 
I want to hear you. I don't want to hear you mimic. And you can embody folks who inspire you. Mm-hmm. But I want to hear Marquise's voice. I don't want to hear you sound like me. I'm country, okay? So it's going to pop out. I'm highly educated and skilled. <laughs> but when I'm comfortable, I'm country. It's going to be that way. And so it takes us away from the authentic self, you know, mm-hmm. because authentic self doesn't give a damn. It doesn't give a damn about what you think I should be doing. The mm-hmm. But the authentic self is saying whatever feels right because I'm good for myself. So, so when you're good for yourself, you normally make the right choices. So the authentic self says, because I'm good for myself and I see me, I'm usually going to make the best choices anyway. Yeah. You know, that whole comparison, it, it, it can definitely get in the way of your progress, get in the way of you, you know, and I'm guilty of it. I have been on this fitness journey for some time, maybe the past two years. And as a track, former track athlete in college and high school and, um, I don't know of a time where I ever had a six pack (laughs) and I, you know, I am striving for whatever reason to at least see a four pack, but going on Instagram (laughs) and following trainers, it influences you and you start to ask yourself like, what am I not doing to the point where, you know, I am now comparing. I'm like, I'm doing all the exercises. I'm eating right. I'm drinking my water. I'm doing all these things. And so it's so easy to get caught up in comparison instead of just accepting your uniqueness and well, your the- body type or whatever it is in order, you know, and just move move forward. If you never get it, you still, it doesn't negate the fact that you're healthy. It doesn't negate the fact that yeah. you take the time out to exercise. It doesn't negate the fact that um, you 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 look good, yeah. But you're well, focused you know, on this thing that you don't have. And most and most athletic people I talk to, this never fails, and it's happened to me like a couple of days ago. They don't they don't physically desire people that look like them. They they like <laughs> average looking people. So I ask, well, because the assumption is if you see them, then they must want people like that. And you see couples that work out together. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to do that with you because I don't want to be here in the first place. We don't want to have a conversation. Yeah. I've determined I, that I will not have a six pack because I'm from Louisiana and I love to cook. In fact, I got buttermilk fried chicken marinating now. Okay. <laughs> so let's make life real, real and comical. I'm not going to have a six pack, but I'm going to have some broad shoulders and some nice arms. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, but I work on character. I work on character, so there, so there needs to be a better balance of character because my philosophy is I don't care how you look. As soon as you open your mouth, that's when your soul speaks anyway. There you go. There you go. So, yeah. and so that's why we have this thing on social media where, of course, I'm on a show now that deals with the social media stuff, but um, it's been proven that people who scroll through all day, they have a higher chance of depression because mm. your mind is like, if you're seeing 80 pictures of people in the car you want to drive, in the house you want to have, the man or woman you hope to have, and the 2.3 children, and that Shih Tzu uh, you pray for, and the eight-pack, damn, well, where am I going wrong? That's the thought we have, is where am I going wrong, and why am I not doing it? Probably because you're on the internet, and you're not in the gym. Okay, let's be clear. Probably probably because you're on the internet, and you're not going on dates. Probably you're on the internet, and you're not chasing what your heart says. So it could be and also, we have to look at, you know, at the pandemic. As soon as it happened, what happened? We all had to go online. 
yeah. whether whether we wanted to or not. Um, even that's been trauma for some people because they've lost people to people during the pandemic. Um, people who were socialites realize I'm not a socialite. I just don't like being alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not a socialite. I just don't like who I am by myself for way too long. Mm-hmm. So does it make you socially? No, you need help to like yourself. So you may, so maybe you don't have to be out so much. Um, you have people that had to start to parent their kids at school, at home, who have never had to do that. So we have all these circumstances playing around, whereas we're always chasing something. But I think right now everybody wants peace because the mm. world is because the world is traumatic every week. If you notice, if you notice every week, there's like, okay, what's going to happen now? What shooting has happened? What law is passed that's going to take away some freedoms? Um, what's going to change? How does COVID look? Um, is going to you know? But can I travel because I may not be able to you know to to leave the country? Is my job structure changing because of COVID? I don't know. So right now, I think it's time for us to seek peace, and part yeah. of that is unwinding everything that's causing us displeasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. Yeah. You know, the, the whole comparison conversation and, and social media definitely believe that the more you scroll, the more you watch, I don't even really watch news much anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, because I just, I'm trying to protect my peace. Well, and it's, and, and I had, and I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine and he sent me a video and this was maybe a few weeks ago and he may be listening. So I, and so I won't say a name, but he sent me a video of another black man getting shot by police. Mm. And I respectfully said, I said, why would you send this to me though? He's like, well, I thought you should know. I said, but you don't know yet. I said, this is complicit in secondary trauma or, mm. you know, or, or I said, I just want you to be careful because I'm, because as an expert, I can tell you, this is pretty dangerous for you to send to another black man. We know this. That's why even being on Instagram, and you, and as soon as something happened, 80 people repost like no one else is reposting it. Yeah. I, that's why I don't post it because I'm like, I'm going to see it 80 times. And then I start to try to mute people because I to, because we have to protect our mental health. So if you read it once or see it once, how, how many examples do you need before it starts to feel like you're next? You know? Right. And, and, that's, and that also builds anxiety. When you're driving mm-hmm. around and you see and you see a police car behind you and you instantly start feeling nervous, that's anxiety. Yeah, yeah. That's what that happens. So we do have to be mindful of the consumption on social media for, you know, the first reason, as you said, for, you know, for the comparison of self and then for the information that can be just way too much for you that day. To handle, yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some solutions, some practical things that we can do as uh, men um, who are focused on bettering our mental health. You know, what are some practical things that we can start doing to really begin to focus on our our bodies, our, our mindsets, so that we are optimal in our efforts? Well, well, first of all, I want to also want to also address black women because some of us, were, okay. well, because some of them are complicit because of what someone told them a man should also look like. Mm. So if your mother's telling you the kind of man you should look for because your daddy was not him, be wary of that. She's projecting what she didn't get. Um, if you had a great example of a father, you can go with that. And so maybe your dad wasn't an athlete, but maybe he was there. Maybe he made you feel valuable. 
those are assets that you can look look towards and also understand that men have emotions so there's this thing that i uh, there's a thing that i say it when we look at the word man it's it's three letters but the word human has five so we reduced our whole being by almost half just to show up as a man so part of this is you know part and part of my work is to help men understand because you are human because you have nerve endings and if your brain is functioning properly and if your body is functioning properly you are entitled you know to feel every emotion possible every feeling you have is valid now how you choose to expend that feeling or show it that's a different story but you are entitled you know to feel sad or to say you're hurt or or to say you're upset or to say that something that happened made you sad so unfortunately we have to help men build their emotional words so they can use it instead of being so reactive meaning as soon as it piles up there's a response that no one else understands but you because you've held it in and all the stuff that you took on the chin as soon as you're triggered you're fighting through all that stuff that's uh but that's hanging off your face so we don't know if you're mad because your check was short or mad because you got a tire you know flat or we're mad because I burned your fried chicken. I don't I don't know what this is because it's way too much. So and so the first step is to really acknowledge that it's okay to have those feelings. And secondly, it's okay for men to have conversations with their homeboys, with their frat brothers, um, with their brothers and say, hey man, how are you feeling? Because I ask a question daily. I say, how are you feeling? Because if you just ask a black man, how are you doing? You know, the famous answer is, I'm okay. Yeah. And as soon as they say that, I know it's a lie. So then I change. I said, so how are you feeling this day? That's very pointed and specific. So then you get a real answer because we're so used to just 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 going by. And it's not and 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 I understand why it's there. Because as a black person back in the day, all we could do was push through. Yeah. You know, all, all we could do was push through. So how could I advise you to stop talking? You know, stop and talk about your feelings if the people that are helping you are of another culture that don't understand you. Mm-hmm. So, and so the whole thing of us not talking is not just because we don't know how to talk, it's because back in the day, who was my who was my mother going to talk to as a therapist? Not a white person. They didn't get it. So now mm-hmm. it's so now we pass that on. And right. now we think, oh, uh, so our parents didn't serve us well. No. Our parents had to do the best that they could. We just got the effects of that. Now we can course correct and change it for our children, change it for, you know, anyone else that we have some type of, you know, some type of, I, I would say handling, but some type of inspiration towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. I remember a coach that I had and she would always bring up the fact that many of us are in our 30s. 40s, 50s, um, functioning as seven-year-olds. Yeah. Can I give you she an example? Talk, she talks about how our development stages are between birth and seven, and many of us are still functioning out of that seven-year-old experience as 30, 40, 50-year-olds. Well, this is how trauma looks. And um, if you experience a trauma at age seven and the way that you responded at age seven, which 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 fits a seven year old, you know, those reactions and all of that and all those feelings, but they've been 
but they also become encoded with that memory. So every time you triggered for that trauma, your body responds as if you're seven. Mm. That's why some people say, oh my God, why is she crying like that? Or why is he acting like this and flailing and all this? I said, well, judge about the fact that this trauma happened at age 10. If you change your eyesight, does it look like a 40-year-old man doing this or a 10-year-old child acting like this? Mm -hmm. They say, oh, so I can tell you, this is not the 40-year-old body doing this. This is the 10-year-old memory forcing the 40-year-old body to respond to all those memories. So then when I give people the wow. gift of there's there's nothing irrational about your response. It just looks that way to people who don't understand that you're responding based on the time it happened, not on the current state of your mind. So that's why trauma or the responses can look so, so wide and so for some people, they say, oh, well, she's just being crazy. No, she's not. But she's experiencing it again at the age it happened. You know at the age it happened and so that's why i look at behaviors and say okay i see the behavior but there's a story to it most of us we see behavior and judge and we penalize behavior and it's, and it's difficult for me to tell people to punish a behavior to someone's trauma that they just haven't worked through <laughs> and i want to share an example of this because okay. people don't understand um had a client well, so I have a client, I have to check on them. And the, and and even avoiding your sessions is a is a part of your trauma response. So I have to call clients like, are you good? Good because you missed your, you know, but you missed your meeting. But um, this person has some childhood trauma, uh, you know, spanning church trauma and sexual abuse and all this stuff. And, and he was very high achieving, very high achieving person. I'm only 5'8". I think he's about six foot, much bigger guy. And this is when I had my office and we were working through the trauma and I asked him about a picture in his wallet of his parents and I held it up and I said what do you what do you think of when you see this picture it's a much older picture and he just broke down mm. and um implying that well he was questioning why he was not protected he was questioning why no one believed him and when I saw the transformation of the but the trauma response he became eight years old five years old, in my, like literally in front of me. I said, okay, it's time to activate. And, and he stood up and he was just bawling. And I went up there and I hugged him. And mind you, I'm shorter, so it was kind of interesting, but I hugged him and I cupped his head. I put his head on my shoulder. I said, he needs comfort right now. Mm -hmm. So I transformed into his father. And I said everything that his father didn't get a chance to say. And I said, I'm sorry for not being there for you. I should have believed you when you said so-and-so hurt you. I cannot believe that because I didn't want to believe that somebody that I trusted could hurt my child. And I did not know how to cope with failing you. So I'm sorry. And and I say more things, but then what I noticed after that, he stopped crying. When he came back the next week, because what he normally does when he walks in, I do a body scan. I'm like, so your shoulders are still tight and you're still, you know, and you're still tense and his legs would shake. So when he came back the next week, it, um, but his legs were not shaking. Hmm. He, he was relaxed. And I said, how do you feel? He said, I don't think about that incident as much anymore. I said, but here's why. Because I allowed you to complete the story that that you needed in a way that made you feel better. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes the healing work is allowing that person to, to find a way to complete the story in the way that they need it most. 
I like I like that <laughs> phrase you just said, completing the story. It it reminds me of a a little story I heard some time ago. And it's a story of two brothers, two twin brothers who uh, grew up in a a two-parent home, but the father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And as they okay. grew up and went through school, you had one brother who went on to college, went on to graduate school, became a doctor. You have another brother, twin brother, same experience, went to school, didn't do that well in school, uh, ended up getting into some trouble, ended up having to spend some prison time and wasn't as quote-unquote successful as the other brother. And then you ask them the question, what do you believe the difference was why your brother was successful or why your brother wasn't as successful? And they both said, because my father was an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, yeah. Same story, two different outcomes. How it impacts impacts the other individual. Well, it's very interesting because I come from a family, and it's not my parents, but 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 seeing a lot of family who were who um, who use a lot of alcohol. There were some drugs in my family. Um, There was a lot of discord, things that, and also with my trauma, I could I could barely recall at the time any happy moments. But healing shows you that there was balance at some point. But going back to that. because I saw a lot of anger, I saw a lot of fighting in, in the family. I thought anger was bad. I thought anger was the oh no, but because I thought that, I I would hold it in and make myself sick. Yeah. So we look at these messages and say either we normalize it and say I- I'm going to just fight at the first mm-hmm. chance I'm mad, or say no, that's not good, that's hazardous. Let mm-hmm. me find another way. So that's why you see some people who may be a child of an alcoholic or or, or a drug addict say, nope, I'm not going to touch any of that stuff because when my mom and or dad was under the influence, it wasn't a good time at home. Mm-hmm. It could have been abusive or neglectful or all of those things. Whereas the other child may say, well, this is what I'm used to. I don't know any other world. And mm-hmm. I remember there was this thing and like in the Globe, and that was and this was after Whitney died. Um, and Bobby Christina was caught on, caught on a picture doing drugs. And they said, she said, well, I'm just like my mama, mm. yeah. because look how because look how they passed away. They both yeah. same. In the yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, so if we don't see the impact of the things that we don't correct, because as a parent, I make mistakes. Sometimes I gotta go back the next day and say, "Hey, I didn't mean to say it that way. I should have used some better words." Or what you saw me do was not cool. Mm. I would not want you to handle it that way. This is how I should have handled it. So instantly I say, yes, I'm human. I make mistakes. But, and also the bigger thing is back in the day, and I will fight a parent right now that says a child being silent is the best thing. Because, you know, in the black home, Mm. you know, a kid is seen but not heard. Yeah. That's never worked. So, so, so any parent listening, if you got a problem, please send me an email so I can tell you why. But that never works because then how does your child tell you that they've been molested? How how does your child tell you that they've been bullied? How do, how does your child tell you that they're being harassed? How do, how do they tell you that they're thinking about ending their life? That's the first thing. Secondly, when we try to instill fear in our children, or oh, you're gonna fear me. I'm not Jesus. You don't have to fear me. You have to know that I'm an authority, and there's a way to do that where you respect me. But my home 
if it's not a safe space, I failed. If I did not make this a safe space for my kids to get their first advice from me, I literally have failed as a parent because mm-hmm. now I throw them out, out to the wolves with all these influences that I don't know where they got their information from. You know, as adults, I can't control where they get their information, but as children, I can say, listen, this is always home. So when the world is out there crazy, but you can trust that home is safe. So also, it's talking back to your experience of how you can have two kids in the same house who are twins and have the same experience, they, but they can choose. And this is the thing, the, the child that was successful knew he had choices. The child that was unsuccessful just went with the program, which didn't have any choices in it. Yeah. Cause when you normalize, it's a way of behavior. There's no choice. I'm going to do what I've normalized. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. And I always tell, and as soon as you hear a person say, that's all I know, they have the power, you know, to then change that. If they can verbalize and tell you, well, that's all I know. Okay, well then, because you said that, you have room to start making changes. And it's scary for someone to challenge you to throw away almost everything you learn because it's almost offensive to say, oh, so what I'm doing in my life is hazardous? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And I normally say, is is it allowing you to be your best self? Yeah. Is it, mm-hmm. you know, is it allowing you to be as productive as you wish. Because if not, I mean, there's things I got to change often. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Because even today, you know, part of that is my own story. My father, who since passed about five, six years ago, he was mm-hmm. he was an alcoholic. And uh, to this day, and maybe t- recently, I just didn't drink. I... I, I mean, I'm very social, you know, hung out with friends, but I was always the one that would never drink. And sometimes people would ask and sometimes people just thought that, you know, I was just being, you know, Mr. Mr. Good Guy. But right. it was all because of what I perceived as a child that I just did not want to become that person. And all the way throughout my adulthood, until recently, you know, I'll have a drink here and there socially, but I just refused because I equated the detriment uh, to his life, uh, alcohol to that. And so I I guess maybe internalize that or um, because growing up in a single parent home, you know, my mother wasn't a drinker. Uh, her family really they weren't drinking so I wasn't really around it a lot but I do right. remember the times that I was around him and the times that he would be drunk I did not like it yeah and so mm-hmm. this is and 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 this is how an experience can be beneficial yeah. whereas it whereas it changed the course of your experience and so that's where we get all this learning from and I rarely run into people that have adult issues I run into people that allow the childhood issues to manifest in adulthood, you know, and we talk about the fact that sometimes when we have a hard time in relationships, well, I started asking, so how was your experience growing up? Um, so what did you witness with your mom and dad? How was your relationship with your mom and or dad? Because if you have a difficulty expressing your feelings about your dad and it hurts and it's, and it's negative, it's going to be hard for you, especially if you're in the same sex thing, to then go into a same sex relationship and not feel like if someone says a word or something similar to him, it won't make you feel as if you're back with your dad and you respond right. the same way. Yeah. Whereas once you start the healing process, 
like their times, like with me, I'll hear something. I'll say, oh, that's a trigger. By the time they realize it, it's a trigger, I've worked it out. I don't hold you accountable for something that is not your fault. Mm-hmm. I say, okay, but that feels familiar, but is it familiar or does it just, or, or, or is it a reminder? And yeah. I may say, well, listen, I, I know you didn't mean to make me feel away. It's not you. If you saw my face or body change, I'm coping with trying to work through it and not put that on you. That was me. You did nothing but said a word that was a trigger. Mm. And then it and then it makes a person mindful that you're conscious of your feelings because people want that kind of person that is conscious of their feelings. And, and yeah. we call that and so we call that um, emotional intelligence, where you're cognizant of the of of the how and why of your feelings and how you impact other people. So it's such a conversation of self-awareness and emotional um, types of conversations. And you ask, what are the things that we can do? My thing is we should have thoughtful conversations, whereas we're making it comfortable for our friends to say, man, I have a bad day at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, um, I'm working on a, on, on a new men's journal that takes into account all of my experiences with working with black men. Um, I'm looking forward to having that out because what it is, so the way we change our processes is we have to instill new habits. So in this journal, I'm asking you questions that people don't ask you. I'm having you do it for like a week at a time. So the way you get so used to it that you start thinking about it without having to start writing it. I have you use your words. I ask you about things that probably no one has ever thought to ask you and say, well, how was, and so how, how did you feel today? Mm-hmm. what's going on with you that you haven't you know worked through and the journal really is about being honest with yourself so at the end of the day we have to teach men to at least be honest with 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 you so marquis i would rather you be honest with yourself and never tell me than to mm. think i'm going to make you tell a whole crowd of people yeah are you being okay with yourself because most things we can work through on our own if we're honest about it that doesn't mean you go back on the internet and say oh i had a bad day no you acknowledge that on your own yeah. It's not for us to always know, but just be confident that you can handle most things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, time goes by so fast. You know, these Doesn't conversations it? are have been important. Each one has been so important, so in-depth, uh, and we just don't have enough time. And so I feel like I need to just do these every month or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to get more information in. Because uh, we're almost at an hour here today. But before we go, what I would like for you to do is to, you know, share an encouraging word and let people know how they can uh, learn more about your work and, and your business and, you know, how we can stay connected with you as we move forward after today's conversation. Absolutely. So I will share kind of, I will paraphrase a statement I shared with one of my clients. Um and I, um, and I said this right before I got on the air via text, and I said, you are worthy of partnership. You are worthy of being partnered with great human beings because you are a great human being. I said that your actions are there so they can protect you. Now, how do we make you feel safe enough so you can let the guard down and put the sword down and you can lean into love? And if you want to find out more about me, it's very simple. It's CoreyGeorge.com. All of my social media handles it's Corey George Cares. So that's that's an easy way to find me and say connected, ask questions. I'm taking clients now. You could also see me, well, I was on the first episode, but you can see me on episode eight 
of any's new series, which is, I'm sorry, which which deals with the which deals with the addiction side of social media, uh, online presences and all that. It's every Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on AME. So, and and you can go back and watch episode one on demand. So, I would love to hear your feedback. Um, it should make you think about your consumption and see how much you may have to pull back in order to find yourself again. And that's pretty much it. So good. So good. You know, I, I love the the app on my iPad and iPhone that tells me how much time I've spent on the various social medias because it gives me the, a little jolt like, oh, man, OK, yeah, six hours last week. Let me see if I can beat the six hours this week. Let me see if I can go under in those yeah. six hours. But you would be amazed. You know, some weeks it could be really high. And then you're asking yourself, well, why didn't I get this done or why did I? do this well if you look at that app and see yeah. how many hours you were on that phone or on that ipad you wouldn't know so Absolutely. Corey, i do appreciate you taking the time out to share with us today i know we had a few little technical difficulties at the beginning but we made it happen and we are here and you know i think that we'll have you on again i think this is great to have these conversations around mental health and um, focus on the men but you know in pre next episodes we can just talk in general around mental health with people i know that it impacts people differently and i think it'd just be a good conversation to have on a regular basis so thanks for awesome. joining me today and those of you who are watching and, and sharing in today's live i appreciate you joining me for this episode of the maximize your brand podcast where we talked about black men and mental health if you're not subscribed to the podcast, all you have to do is go to Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can find Maximize Your Brand podcast in those platforms. Leave us a rating or review. Let us know what you thought of each episode. I'm always excited to be sharing with you each and every week. If you're not a part of my community, I'm going to shift and share uh, some information on the screen here. If you're not a part of the community, I want to ask you to text, text, let's get that on the screen here. I want to ask you to text personal brand, personal brand to 77222, 77222. That will add you to my listserv where you'll know when we're going live, when we're having workshops, when we're having uh, guests that you may want to watch. So please text personal brand to 77222 to join us on the podcast. Once again, if you're not uh, on the live stream, you can go to any one of these platforms to listen to the audio. We thank Corey for joining us today. And until next time, just remember this, always shoot for the top because it's the bottom that's overcrowded. Take care.